Pick 6 Podcast. It is Wednesday, July 24th, 2019. Training camps fully underway. The NFL season inching closer. And uh, today, joining me, Will Brinson on the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast, we have both Ryan Wilson. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Wilbur. And... Excited to talk to him again for the second time, I think, in like three weeks. Brian McFadden down in Fort Lauderdale. B-Mac, what's up, buddy? What's up, guys? Not much, man. Uh, this actually works out perfect because we are going to do some AFC North training camp battles, specifically maybe focusing on the Steelers. Uh, B-Mac, of course, two-time champion, Super Bowl champion with the Steelers. Ryan, if you can count the we factor as a fan, also a two-time. You're, I guess you're a five-time champion. With the Steelers, right, Ryan? Hey, I, I told this story when me and B-Mac talked on the podcast last during the, uh, during the season when they whipped up on the Panthers that I was in the stands as a fan for B-Mac's first interception, 2005 against the Jaguars. Ah, yes, Byron he did. Byron size, eight feet, left which threw it right to him. He made the play in the end zone. <laughs> how how big are Byron left which's feet? It was like a size nine or something like that. It's crazy small. That, that, how, that's, a, that's like a true story of overcoming adversity to make it to the NFL with size nine feet. I mean, like, I'm like, I'm five six and I have like 11 and a half inch feet. So I mean, like, and Byron Leftwich is walking out here with a Tim Tebow wind up in size nine shoes. That's incredible. That's disrespectful. <laughs> he is much better than Tebow. He yeah. got hit by a car twice too growing up. So that's some adversity right there as well. How, how about a Jameis Winston wind up? Is that better? That seems more fair. He, he wasn't throwing interceptions like Jameis. That's true. Um, Speaking of great quarterbacks who throw interceptions, let's dive right into the news of the day. It's nice to get – we're getting closer to the season, you can tell, because there's actually some NFL news going on. Uh, Mark Sanchez retiring, walking away from football, reportedly according to the New York Post. Um, as of this recording, ESPN did not announce it, but he is going to join the ESPN College Football Studio Show with uh, Kevin Nagandi and Jonathan Vilma, I believe, and um, – I got it. First things first, BMAC. So this is, uh, back when you were, um, winning, like playing for in an NFL team and, and winning, you know, chasing Super Bowl rings. Ryan had been assigned to by, uh, I think it was actually Eric Kay, our boss at the time, our NFL editor at the time. He was assigned to do a weekly breakdown of Mark Sanchez versus Tim Tebow. And it was, it was like a gag bit that, that started in the preseason and carried on into the full regular season. Ryan, on a, on a scale of, uh, one to 10, where does that fall in terms of your all time favorite life experiences? Yeah, that was a 2012 season. So, uh, Tebow had been traded from Denver to yes. New York. That was a huge deal because John Fox, I think at that point, wanted nothing to do with Tebow. John Elway, too. Yeah. And John Elway. So they got rid of McDaniels, who drafted Tebow. Fox didn't want to deal with him. They sent him to New York. And then where he became the pump protector more than anything else. We saw him in the preseason. He was terrible. So every week I would chronicle the snaps that Tebow got and, and how Sanchez played. And it was that 2012 season was the longest season of my professional career. Let me mention this quickly, talking yeah. about Mark Sanchez, who was drafted in 2009. And you you wrote about this on, on Tuesday about how Pete Carroll sort of dogged him in the draft process when Pete Carroll's at USC with Mark Sanchez. Twenty So 2009, he goes to the AFC Championship game with Rex Ryan in his first year. 2010, they go to the AFC Championship game again. And they play BMAC in, in the Steelers in that game. And I actually just watched the highlights again to get a, to get uh, refresh my memory about it. Because that game, the Steelers went up 24 nothing at the half. Uh, Ike sacks Mark Sanchez second quarter. Willie Gay took it in for a touchdown. BMAC, I wanted to ask you, 
first of all, what was the if you remember what was the game plan to stop Mark Jackson, uh, Mark Jackson, Mark uh, Mark Sanchez? Because all they did was run the ball basically. And then also at half, what was the conversation you guys had about trying to stave off a twenty four zero comeback? And, and actually, the game ended up being twenty four nineteen. Well, the game plan against Mark Sanchez at that time, because remember. Uh, they were a run-first type of offense, and we wanted to stop the run and force them to throw against us. And when that happened, we wanted to make sure we made Mark Sanchez attack the outside of the numbers. Uh, inside routes, we knew he was more comfortable in completing those type of passes. So DB-wise, cornerback-wise, we our leverage was very, very important. So we play a lot of things from inside leverage, forcing him or forcing the receivers to have – uh, to, to be forced to run outside type routes. And we felt like the, the deep outs, the deep comebacks, things like that, he had issues in completing as far as his accuracy compared to running, allowing them to run slants, digs, curls, posts, things like that. So we wanted to force Mark Sanchez to attack the outside part of the football field, and we felt like we would have success. And secondly, we just wanted to uh, take him in deep water and drown him. Um, <laughs> we felt like getting a lead on a team that was run heavy. You know, we felt like we were good in, in, in a good position to finish the drill, but we didn't want to get relaxed because they had a good defense. Remember, that defense kind of led the way for them along with their ball control offense. So we wanted to take them in deep water and just finish the drill and drown them, and we were able to do so. Yeah, and, I mean, not not obviously it didn't matter because you guys ended up going to the Super Bowl and winning the game. But Mark Sanchez technically outplayed Big Ben in terms of statistical production. Big mm-hmm. Ben, 10 and 19, 133 and two interceptions. It was, it was, it was, I mean, you can tell just, you know, remembering the game and then looking back at the stats that it was a, hey, this defense is really good. Let's try and minimize the amount of time that they're out there. As a, uh, as a player, BMAC, were you cognizant of all the, insane stuff that was happening with like Mark Sanchez and the Jets and and if so do you have a particularly uh fond memory the butt fumble obviously the first one he did eat that hot dog on the sidelines he wore a crazy headband uh Rex Ryan once got a tattoo of Mark Sanchez that's the craziest that's the second craziest thing tied to Mark Sanchez (laughs) outside of the butt fumble Rex Ryan getting a tattoo of his wife in a Sanchez jersey while also Tebowing. Ryan wrote that story in 2010 yo, or 11. Yo, that's weird. That's yeah. like creepy, right? Yeah. It's really creepy. Um, wow. Yeah. There yeah. was also that whole issue. I think Deadspin, of course, wrote it about, um, uh, what's his name? Rex Ryan's foot fetish. Yeah. Yeah. Course. Yeah. I totally that forgot. all came out the same time, right? Yeah. The tattoo. And look, I, I don't care what Rex does with his wife, but I think that tattoo is much weirder than him making videos with his wife about feet. I agree. A hundred percent. I mean, that tattoo's weirder than licking feet. I mean, like, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean um, all right. Uh, also in the news, Jerron Reed, but uh, anyway, farewell, Mark Sanchez. We, we hardly knew you. Jerron Reed suspended six games, um, for a two year old, two year old, an assault charge that is more than two years old. It happened in 2017. Uh, and the court proceedings finally got around to it and the NFL finally got around to handing out punishment for this. I wonder about BMAC as a, as, a, you know, if, if you were, you know, you you played during Roger Goodell's tenure of of the the, yep. the wheel of of random punishments. Are, are you? Would you? How could I mean? How concerning is it to see something like this as a, as a former player? Because and not that I'm saying Jerron Reed doesn't deserve the suspension, but to see Tyreek Hill get off of with no punishment, and then Jerron Reed to get punished for a two year old a case is two year old two years old, it feels very arbitrary and random, doesn't it? And correct me if I'm wrong, Will. Uh, no charges were filed. Against Reed, correct? Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. So so what is he being punished for? Clearly, if no charges were being filed or have been filed, we don't know if exactly if he's innocent or guilty. But if you legally you're not charged with anything, no wrongdoing. And then two years have been you've been removed from this incident for two years and now you're suspended. Also, too, think about this, not just talking about the Tyreek Hill situation, because I, I feel like I don't know exactly the 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 uh, intel when it comes to what happened with Reed. But it sounds similar to what happened with Tyreek Hill as far as the final result. No charges were filed or made against either player. Tyreek Hill, nothing will, will be done to him as far as discipline. But Jerron Reed will miss six games. Zeke, Ezekiel Elliott had the same situation, right? Remember, mm-hmm. no charges were filed against him. Yep. And he uh, had to be suspended. Now, granted, that was a, a long, drawn-out process, but eventually he was suspended. So I don't understand the standard, the criteria. I, I don't understand. what What is the standard? What is – how do you determine if someone is suspended when no charges are being filed compared to someone being suspended when they have the same outcome with no charges being filed? The standard is not the standard when it comes to Roger Goodell. Yeah. Uh, one thing I saw, I can't remember who reported this, um, but apparently – the uh, Jerron Reed's girlfriend or whoever the other the, the other person was involved in this case spoke with investigators and that didn't happen in Tyreek Hill's, Hill's case. We obviously know. I don't know what happened in Zeke Elliott's case. And B-Mac, you go back to 2010, Roethlisberger was suspended six games, reduced to four when Charlie Batch and, Den- and, yep. and Dixon started. He all Those charges were dropped, too, for a completely different incident. But, um, yeah, I think the only separating factor is that Jerron Reed, the person involved in this with him, spoke to investigators. Now, here's the other side of this conversation. It's still arbitrary. It doesn't make sense. No one knows what to expect. And we've been talking about this for 10 years now. But here, I wonder if there's a situation where players get in trouble uh, legally, the cases are dropped, and then there's some sort of communication between the player and the person who's uh, the alleged victim who understand that if they talk, the money's going to dry up for four to six games and it's not worth it. It's not mm. worth the 40000 or 60000 or whatever, $300,000 you're going to lose by speaking up if you're still in a relationship or, or whatever. And, and I wonder if that's going to have an effect on how these things, how easy they are to, to litigate because it, it just there's no plan and people don't know what to expect. And it's just – and it, it even looks worse because this is coming a week after Tyreek Hill. So yeah, it you does. try to explain it and, and you can't explain it. It does also too, Ryan. You, you talked about the individual that was involved spoke with investigators. Whatever they told the investigators clearly didn't carry any weight, right? Because no, nothing happened, right? Right. I, th- I, mean, I, well, I think maybe the difference here might be that the uh, female in question, or the 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 victim in question, the alleged victim here with the Jerron Reed situation, like Ryan said, spoke to investigators, but but not like in 2017. Came back and did it later, right? Whereas, uh, and, and the motivation there for Tyreek Hill's fiance as Ryan points out, is to not speak to investigators because either either he's going to get in trouble and he's going to lose that extension or lose some money for those game checks, or she's going to get in trouble because she's going to provide information that could later get her in, in trouble with the courts. Uh, but because, she did release the audio. You remember the recording? Well, well, somebody did, yeah. I mean, whoever, yeah, whoever leaked it out. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, but it is it is a, it, it is a, it, it, the, this is the problem with the NFL's system of justice is it is, it is just too wild and too, uh, random and arbitrary and they just don't feel like you understand you don't feel like nobody feels like they have a good sense of what the nfl is actually trying to accomplish from a football perspective this is a huge blow to the seahawks by the way yes uh, sir reed had Ooh. ten and a half sacks last year they already traded frank clark they have no real meat 
uh, teeth, you know, on that front seven now. And, and you have to wonder how the, the Seahawks defense, which was poised to be a, a big, you know, a, a big plus for them is going to look without, uh, without Jerron Reed there. Yeah, they drafted LJ Collier in the first round, but he is not an edge rusher in terms of a guy who gets rushing the passer. He's just a big guy with heavy hands who can stop the run. Mac, let me ask you this, because this is sort of a thing. We we heard Tyreek Hill's teammates come out and support him, but when you hear the audio as a teammate, are you having conversations with other teammates? Are you having conversations mm. with Tyreek Hill? Pull him to the side, say, "Listen, man, if you need help with anything, get help." Um, is there any of that going on? Or are you just like it's us against the NFL and we have to stick together? I mean, if you're a close-knit group, yes. The, those are conversations you have in the locker room or, you know, at one particular player's house. You know, like, bruh, you, did you hear the audio? It didn't sound good. And then, of course, you eventually approach Tyreek Hill with it because at, at the end of the day, you know, your teammates and we're, we're individuals, we're adults, we're parents first, and you have to handle yourself accordingly. And there's nothing wrong with asking questions, I think, most importantly, as far as trying to find a answer to whatever it is you're going through. If you're in a situation where the relationship between your girlfriend, your wife, your significant other is a bit toxic, toxic from time to time, maybe you may need to consider stepping back mm. and giving each other space because eventually you might not be as lucky or as, as fortunate as you are currently. And who knows how it could really hurt your career and hurt us as a team. So I think team teammate-wise in Kansas City, yes, those guys probably talked about it. The coaches probably talked about it. But if they actually care about Tyreek Hill, they should ask questions. I would. Mm, for sure. Uh, Tyler Boyd, Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver, got a four-year, $43 million deal from the team. Uh, Boyd played a large, large percentage of his snaps uh, out of the slot, but was excellent, was uh, tremendous on money downs, as Pro Football Focus noted. I think like 14 first downs and two touchdowns on third and fourth down last year. Uh, it, it, are you amazed, BMAC, to see the kind of cast these slot receivers are getting in 2019? Because it wasn't, it wasn't there 10 years ago, was it? No question. It wasn't there 10 years ago for slot wide receivers. Clearly, the market has changed for starting number one wide receivers as well. Uh, that's the going market. That's a fair deal for both player and organization, uh, roughly around $11 million per year. And he... The, the injury to Andy Dalton really helped Boyd because he showed the ability to be successful with the who's of who throwing him the football along with A.J. Green not being in, in uniform. So those two elements really provided an opportunity for him to cash in, and he did. Uh, I, I love Boyd coming out of Pitt years ago. I thought he was a difference maker playing there uh, in, in Pittsburgh at the University of Pitt, and clearly it took some time for him, for, for him to really establish himself playing alongside A.J. Green. But when A.J. went out with that injury, I mean, his production increased dramatically. And because of that, that's a quality deal, fair deal he received. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of the Bengals, after the break, we will break down the Bengals uh, training camp battles as well as maybe discuss some Steelers wide receivers. Be right back after this uh, little break. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating 
out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, so training camp is underway around the NFL. Some camps are starting. A lot have happened, but we're going to see some battles uh, in the training camp. We're going to start in the in the AFC North. We're going to start in Pittsburgh, and we're going to start with the wide receiver position. Antonio Brown, of course, traded this offseason to the Oakland Raiders. That opened up uh, the number one role for Juju Smith-Schuster. He's the unquestioned top option there. Vance McDonald at tight end. Um, James Conner, Jalen Samuels, and Biddy Snell at running back. But everybody wants to know, guys, and I'll start with you, BMAC, who is going to be the guy who establishes himself as the number two wide receiver in Pittsburgh? Dante Moncrief, Dante Moncrief is there. They signed him this offseason. Eli Rogers, a slot guy. James Washington, a second-round pick last year. Ryan's boy out of Carolina, Ryan Switzer. And uh, Deontay Johnson, a third-round pick out of Toledo. Used, selected, by the way, with the Antonio Brown draft pick. Yeah, for me, it should be. Dante Moncrief, uh, an experienced player uh, entering his sixth uh, NFL season. He understands the game extremely well. Uh, a year ago, you look at his numbers playing with an inconsistent quarterback in Blake Bortles, over 40 receptions, uh, just roughly under 700 yards and three touchdowns. And then when you look at some of his best productive years coming when he was in Indy playing with Andrew Luck, I mean, he put up some real nice numbers for a serviceable guy at that time. I think playing with Big Ben, you potentially could see a career-like year for, Don, uh, for, for, for Dante, especially if he's healthy. So I think he should have the inside track based on his experience and based on the ability to understand the game of football as a professional at the wide receiver position. He should have the inside track to ultimately be the number two wide receiver now will he hold on to that spot that's up to him to des- to decide yeah we were just talking about tyler boyd uh picking up the slack once um green got hurt and, and that could be a same the same case for, for james washington who had a he didn't have a great year last year kevin no. Colbert talked about it during the combine ben roethlisberger called him out after that broncos mm. game where he dove for football he needed to die for that could have been a touchdown he ended up dropping it. they lost that game that could have been the deciding factor for them going to the playoffs if you want to point to that but um He's lost some weight. Everyone that sees him says he's been great in the offseason workout. So he has a lot to prove. We know he's a deep threat. He has long arms. He was catching touchdown passes from Mason uh, Rudolph at Oklahoma State two years ago. Switzer's a guy that I like a lot. He's going to be a slot guy, number three guy. He'll you know run the jet sweeps out of the backfield. Um, but he, I don't think he's going to be challenged for the number two job. But he's not Joy Nettleman. He's not Chris Hogan. He's not that. Um, he's not in that type of offense. I think you have to sort of be careful about uh, Deontay Johnson just because. He's coming out of a smaller Mac school. You can't expect him to come on and, and just set the world on fire. Juju Smith-Schuster, I feel like, was the exception. It's rare that you see a, a guy, especially in this, feel like the Steelers offense, that comes in at wide receiver 
as a rookie and just sets the world on fire. Yeah. Martavis Marte Bryant was a great example, but he also had to deal with a lot of other stuff, mostly off the field. But that seems to happen more rarely than, than you would expect, given sort of the Steelers' success with, with the wide receivers. Yeah, and even, you know, Antonio Brown in 2010 as a rookie didn't have a monster year, right? Uh, you got, you know, you guys were in the... He actually caught the game-winning pass in that Jets playoff game we were just talking about. Oh, that's right. Running out the clock. It was third and eight. Diving catch towards the sidelines. And that was AB. I think that was the same year as the helmet catch against the Ravens, wasn't it? Against the Ravens. Yeah, the yeah. week before. Yeah. That was the week before. Yeah, because I, I remember that was the first Super Bowl that I ever covered was the... That Packers Steelers. Ice Bowl. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. That's right. Ice Bowl in Dallas. And, um, I remember chatting up a, uh, a very unknown Antonio Brown on the sidelines and being just amazed at just how smoky his damn voice was. I mean, even at the time as a rookie. Yeah, like, yo, Will, what's up? Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yo, yo, I caught it. Well, you saw it. That's pretty good, actually. That's That's great. That's really good. I know. Um, let's move to the Ravens where, Helpful producer Debo has put together some training camp battles for us. Outside linebacker is a position of need. If you're a Steelers fan, you should be licking your chops because it doesn't look like the Ravens, barring a breakout season from some uh, sort of off-the-radar guys, are necessarily going to have a ton of uh, pressure at the, at the pass rusher position. They lost to Darius Smith and Terrell Suggs. Uh, so who do you guys see maybe emerging BMAC out of, out of this group uh, to really compete for snaps? Tim Williams, a speedy sort of uh, pure edge rusher guy out of Alabama they drafted recently. Jalen Ferguson, and Williams on his third season somehow. Jalen Ferguson, a third-round pick out of Louisiana Tech. Shane Ray, who they picked up as a free agent entering his fifth year with just 14 career sacks. Uh, Marcus Jones, and then maybe Matt Judon or Tyus Bowser. Anybody scare you as a uh, as a potential <laughs> Ravens pass rusher there? No. I mean, if all these guys were playing college football like they played college football years ago, no question they would scare you. I mean, Tim Williams was one of the best elite pass rushers we saw at Alabama when he was there. His speed rush was so precise. It was so consistent. But <laughs> he hasn't really done a lot. Uh, and on the professional level, remember Shane Ray coming out, you know, many people felt like he was the next, next great thing. Didn't really emerge to be that type of player, especially playing alongside Von Miller. I mean, that's yeah. the most confusing thing about Shane Ray. Shane, the guy who started opposite of you commanded a lot of attention and you did not reap the benefits like we saw from Bradley Chubb last year. So it's, it's a lot of unknowns. I think most importantly for me, a rookie in Jalen Ferguson could potentially at some point lock on to one of these outs, uh, outside uh, linebacker positions there in Baltimore because I believe based on what we know as far as potential and expectations, he could be the best pure pass rusher. All he did at La Tech, get sacks. Mm. He stayed in the opposing offense's backfield, but he always played with his hand in the dirt as a outside 4-3 defensive end. That transition could, it could take some time for him to get comfortable there, but I think he has a skill set. And, you know, maybe Shane Ray can finally turn on the light switch and, and lock up one of the other outside linebacker positions. I think he should have the inside track because he's the most experienced guy they have fighting for an outside backer. So, I mean, it's a wait and see approach, but right now, I'll say what Shane Ray and, you know, initially, uh, Matt Judon, potentially, you know, just from the experience factor, along with guys like Tim Williams and Jalen Ferguson, you know, fighting for backups. Yeah, Jalen's nickname was Sack Daddy, so you know what what he was doing <laughs> in attack. 
The yeah. thing is about him, though, he ran – he had terrible times, terrible 40-time, terrible three-cone drill. And people actually said, hey, man, go back and look at what Terrell Suggs did. He didn't run great, but he was certainly dominant. He was a first-round pick back in 03, I think. So, I mean, the times don't necessarily mean anything. But I saw Jalen at the Senior Bowl, and he was not sharp. And I talked to people during OTAs, and they said, yeah, he didn't look great. And also, the Ravens actually thought that Terrell Suggs was going to come back. They didn't expect him to go home to Arizona where he is mm-hmm. now. So they didn't plan on that. Um, the good news is – they signed Earl Thomas, so they got something on the back end to, to really help out. The bad news is, is he going to do what Eric Weddle did? Because Eric Weddle was the glue of that defense. And the other thing is Eric Weddle has been a lot healthier than Earl Thomas, who we know yeah. struggled with, with injuries uh, on his way out of Seattle. Yeah, I mean, I think there are questions about this Ravens defense. And with an offense that wants to run the ball with, with Lamar Jackson, it is a uh, – the Ravens might be the biggest wild card in all of football, just in terms of you know what what sort of breakouts you could potentially get and, and the downside that they might have if things go south on either side of the ball. Uh, no, ask, can I ask B Mac something real quick? You can ask yes, B Mac anything you want. B Mac, would you rather face Joe Flacco in his prime? I don't know when that was, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, or would you rather fa- face Lamar Jackson in terms of what you have to plan against? Mm. Right now, give me Lamar Jackson, man. And I'll say that because if you stop the run, based on how we saw the offense uh, was orchestrated when he became the starting quarterback, I mean, you got a shot. I mean, that, that playoff game against uh, the Chargers, they, they, they neutralized the running aspect from that offense and now force him to beat us with his arm. And, you know, he can't consistently do that. And, oh, by the way, I think that when Joe Flacco was in his prime, that offense he has surrounded him is better than what Lamar Jackson yeah. has surrounded him currently. The 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 offensive line and if you have a you know a, a healthy and uh, on the field it's Ray the, Rice, uh, Heap, Ray yeah. Rice, that's right. Yeah, and uh, what's his name? Uh, who was a former Titans wide receiver? The uh, Derek Mason. Derek Mason used they, to light him up. PJ Hushmanzada. Uh, um, Anquan Bolden, had, man. Yeah, Anquan. And they had An- Anquan, and also what Todd Heap. Yeah. Uh, was, yeah, one guy after the next. Um, <laughs> so in totality, that offense was much better. I'm not sure yeah. that Joe Flacco ever had an actual prime. Like he just I, had, I, he just I had like figure out when it was. He just had like a ten year plateau. <laughs> He's like a pretty good quarterback. Uh, let's move to the uh, Cleveland Browns. A lot of hype surrounding the Cleveland Browns heading into this year. Denzel Ward, of course, is going to be their number one cornerback. Who is going to be number two? Ryan, is there a chance that Greedy Williams, their first overall pick? Uh, the uh, 46th overall pick, their first, their first pick of this draft. Uh, can he step in and be the number one option, uh, uh, next to Denzel Ward? Yeah, Greedy is an insane athlete, and we saw that in glimpses. And the issue with Greedy coming out of the draft was would he tackle anybody? The good news is he has 10 guys in that defense that'll hurt people. And we saw that when Greg Williams was a DC. And, um, I thought Denzel Ward had a really good season last year, but can Greedy step up and just be consistent? That's why he fell to the second round. There were some murmurings about his attitude. I never heard anything about that personally. I know I talked to him the day of the draft, and he thought he was going in the first round. And for the longest time, he was supposed to be a top 15 pick, the first cornerback off the board. I think two cornerbacks went before him, uh, Byron Murphy, and then uh, Baker went to the Giants. There may have been another cornerback that went before him. Maybe it was the fourth cornerback. But either way, yeah. he has a chance. Rocky on Sin, right? Oh, yeah, yeah Rocky right. Sin to the Colts. Yeah, so there were a lot of guys. He fell to fourth. Through the process, I think a lot of that had to do with other guys sort of rising, not so much greedy falling. But if you tackle people, I mean, that's half the battle. I mean, that's a big part of it, obviously. But he can cover. He can cover anybody. BMAC, yeah. how how hard is it 
how difficult is it to have a first year cornerback and a second year cornerback on, on, you know, lining up there? Like what are the, what kind of difficulties are these guys facing uh, being that young and in, in, in a new system that they got to deal with? Well, you pretty much got the young leading the young. Uh, even though uh, Denzel had a heck of a year, he's still a young player and he still has a lot to learn from the experience factor. And we know how young Greedy Williams is if he is the starter opposite of Denzel Ward. It shouldn't be a big issue because that front should be much better. Um, you look at Miles Garrett, uh, uh, Vernon from uh, the Giants. Uh, you got Kersky. You got some guys that can play on the first two levels. Uh, that, that will play on the first two levels of that defense should actually help the secondary out a lot. Now, if you got two young corners playing with a front that has issues putting pressure on opposing quarterbacks, they're going to struggle. But I think this front should be better than what we saw last year. Even though they were an opportunistic group, they had a lot of sacks, a lot of turnovers. They just didn't play good ball in the red zone. And that's the thing about Cleveland. They can play better football in the red zone. I believe they will continue to put pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They will find a way to create turnovers, and they will be a better defense. So having two young corners, one who is a stud, by the way, as long as that front continues to do what they've been doing, they should be fine. Uh, just want to point, quickly point out, we mentioned Anquan Bolden. BMAC and Anquan Bolden on the, uh, on the, on the roster of the 2002 Florida State Seminoles. Uh, yes, sir. T- together. That team came to Raleigh and, and lost to NC State. Oh, <laughs> that, uh, here we go. <laughs> uh, uh, like, what are, what are you, are you in the stands? I was in the stands for that. I probably got thrown out at some point in that game. Uh, good. Yeah. That, that was a good, that was a good, that was, that was a Philip Rivers, uh, T.A. McClendon State team, though. That was a very good team. You remember T.A. McClendon, oh. number 44. Oh my God. I love T.A. He's the best. Uh, we don't have time to dive into T.A. stories. We'll, we'll get to those later. Last hey, team. B- hey, B-Mac, is it more frustrating watching Philip Rivers carve up a team with the way throwing underhand like he does, or would you rather see Joe Flacco throw for 400 yards. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what? I think I'd rather see Joe Flacco because <laughs> Joe does not talk trash like Philip Rivers does. Uh, so Philip Rivers talks trash and he doesn't curse. That's true, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's tough for a quarterback to talk trash because you really can't put your hands on him like you would want to. Dag, <laughs> damn it. Like, what, how, what, how does he get fired up? He just, yeah, God darn it, darn it, <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, all right, last team. We'll get out of this quick because B-Max got to go do some CBS Sports HQ. By the way, that's our 24-7 streaming sports network. You can watch it on Amazon, Roku, Apple, Fire, wherever else you get your stuff or cbssports.com slash live. The Bengals linebackers, Vontez Burfitt, gone, leaves a massive hole. According to Pro Football Focus, this group was the worst linebacking group in coverage in 2018. They re-signed Preston Brown this offseason. Nick Vigil has 21 starts the last two years, so he can't stay healthy. And they have a weird fetish for drafting these guys in the third round. Malik uh, Vigil was 2016 third-round pick. Malik Jefferson, 2018 third-round pick. Jermaine Pratt, 2019 third-round pick. Uh, and Jordan Evans played uh, five starts in 14 games last year. Anybody – I mean, this is a wide-open battle here, I believe, BMAC. Anybody strike your fancy out of this group of linebackers? Not really, but if I had to pick <laughs> a guy, I think it would be I, I think it would be Jordan Evans, hmm. a guy that has really played uh, in limited snaps but yet and still has been pretty productive. 14 games, like you said, only five starts, but he – 60 what, 61 tackles. You know, interception, a, a sack and a half, so he's really been – Effective based on their limited opportunities. It's going to be a rebuilding year. Let's keep it real. I mean, Cincinnati, they probably will have a top five selection in, in this year's upcoming draft. Offensively, they have a lot of concerns. Uh, defensively, a lot of concerns, you know, not just when it comes to the linebacking positions, you know, in the secondary and also outside of Geno Atkins, you know, what will you get from this defensive line unit? So 
it's going to be a difficult year. I mean, Preston Brown should be the guy. He should be the the the, the bell cow of the group. Uh, but yet and still, he's been a bit inconsistent. So, I mean, when you talk about Cincinnati, especially at the linebacker uh, positions, I mean, pro football focus just said it all. The worst unit in as far as in coverage in the entire NFL. I wouldn't be surprised to see them repeat that stat again in 2019. Yeah, they could be in the tour business if things go like you expect them to go. One name I would point out is Deshaun Davis, the rookie out of Auburn. He was a six-round pick, undersized. He's not necessarily fast, but if you watch him play in college, he was crushing people. And I remember talking to a scout that didn't love Devin White, who went top five to, to the Bucks, and he said if Devin White had Deshaun Davis's, uh brain above the neck, he would be a lights-out Hall of Famer-type player. So Davis has a long road to go, a long, tough road to hoe, I guess so I'd say, as a six-rounder. But he has a chance to play. We just talked about how terrible this defense is. So he's someone to watch out for in training camp if you're looking for possible sleepers. Absolute, absolutely disrespectful to Jermaine Pratt not to assume he would uh-huh. be the starter and have 100 tackles. He did play at NC State. All right, let's get out of here. <laughs> B-Max got to go to an HQ spot. And uh, Ryan has uh, tea to drink, and I, I've got to go cook some chicken. B-Mac, always a pleasure, buddy. Thanks. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon.